When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years. The first two years of Risk episodes, the ones from October 2009 to October 2011, were behind a paywall for a while. So now, every other Thursday, we're rerunning them for free. We ask that you keep the historical context in mind. Today, in 2021, there's a different consciousness. We've always asked storytellers to speak in as unfiltered a way as possible, and yet to tell their stories with as much compassion as possible. Even so, I'm sure the storytellers and the host might have worded some of what they said on these old episodes differently if they'd been recorded more recently. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, the fourth episode from our second year, it premiered in November of 2010, and it's the Risk All-Star episode number one. Hello, kids, and welcome to Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. At least not until I came up to them and said, well, how about for a podcast? And they said, well, for a podcast? Yeah, why the fuck not? I'm Kevin Allison. That was Wormburner up top. They have a new album out called Placed by the Gideons, and this is Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra behind me now. Musicians, send us more. If you're new to the show, you may not know it, but uh, this show is in large part put together by the contributions of its own fans. So jump on in, motherfuckers. All right. Okay, that was a slightly gratuitous use of the word motherfuckers. Well, normally, folks, our episodes have a theme, but today the stories are all over the place. What brings all these tales together is that the hour we are about to share is full of stars. We've got Sarah Silverman, Mark Marin, Kevin Nealon, and in just a moment, we're going to hear from the director of Anchorman and Talladega Nights and the other guys, Mr. Adam McKay. But before that... We're going to hear a little bit from the Risk Live show at UCB in L.A., a story by the insane Nick Swartzen. You know Nick from Reno 911 and a ton of big movies, and, of course, his new Comedy Central series, Nick Swartzen's Pretend Time. It's a very funny show, which means that Comedy Central is quite likely to axe it at any moment, so check it out while you can. Uh, here's Nick with his very juicy tale that we call... <laughs> that sounded bizarre. <laughs> anyway, we call it The Blast. Um, this story is a uh, true story. It took place when I lived in New York. And um, I was... Uh, I just moved there. I was probably like 20 years old at the time. One of my best friends, uh, Danny, lived there. And he had a big loft... This was back in the 90s, so he had like a big loft in Tribeca. And uh, he had a roommate. So he lived with his roommate and his girlfriend. So one day, me and my buddy are at the gym, working out, and uh, we finish, 
the workout, and we're like, let's, you know, we're trying to be healthy. So you go to that little nutrition store, get a protein bar and a banana, pound that. That'll come back later in the story. <laughs> so, so I pound these two things, right? I go back to my friend's loft. He gets a call. He's like, dude, fucking sweet club tonight. Let's go out. I'll lend you some, you know, some of my stuff. Uh, let's shower and go out. I'm like, okay, cool. He goes into the shower. Granted, like, this is a big loft, so it's like, it's like this whole fucking square right here. And uh, like down here is where his roommate and his girlfriend are watching TV, on the opposite corner. On the corner up here is the kitchen. And like right here is the bathroom, okay? So I'm hanging out in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, you know, my stomach is like, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a red flag. <laughs> but I was like, whatever, I'm good. And uh, all of a sudden, it fucking kicks in hard again. And, it, and I'm like, oh, shit. And it's like a little bit like that. Now it's getting like, fuck. So I knock on the door about the bathroom. You know what I mean? Knocking on my buddy. I'm like, hey. I go, dude, let's go. And he's like, I'm in the fucking shower. It's chill out. And I'm like, I just, I got to pee really bad. He's like, dude, it's locked. Just, I'm in the shower. I'm like, fuck. So I'm like pacing. And then, you know, this couple's on the couch over there. And, the, and they have two dogs. And they're like hanging out. And so now it's getting really bad. Like, really fucking warning track. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I pound on the door. I'm like, dude, I seriously, I'm not kidding. I have to get in this bathroom. He's like, fucking chill out. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, my God. And, oh, by the way, I'm wearing just boxers because I'm ready. I'm wearing boxers and a T-shirt because I'm doing the shower next. So I'm just, like, hanging out in the kitchen. And uh, so this makes, that makes it ten times worse. So now I realize, oh, my God, I have to go fucking now. It was like... There was no waiting. So I'm just like, it was one of those things where I'm like, oh! And I'm like trying to figure out what to do. And there's like garbage can in the kitchen. And I'm like, garbage can! And like try to like, and just did not make it to the garbage can at all. Just floodgates, floodgates. And it's fucking all, a huge pool in the fucking kitchen. So now I'm in a loft. You know what I mean? So I'm like sitting there like, oh my God. And I'm like trying to be like, what do I do? And I'm just trying to like process what happened. Meanwhile, the fucking dogs smell it. <laughs> they run to the kitchen and start barking like crazy. And they're like in the shit and they're like running around in it. And I'm like, fuck. And then my, my friend's roommate is like, hey, what's going on? What's going on over there? Guys, guys. And the girl's like, you guys be quiet to the dogs. And uh, she starts walking over. And I'm just standing there, pool of shit in these two dogs. And she just goes, oh, no. Just then my friend gets out of the bathroom. So I'm like, fuck. I run into the bathroom and slam the door. Just fucking back in. And I hear fighting and yelling. And I'm like, oh, my God. I just fucking shit all over my friend's floor. I'm like, this is, I'm never going to live this down. I'm never... He's a fucking comic. You know, I was like young, just moved to the city. I was like so insecure. I'm like, this is a nightmare. So I'm cleaning, cleaning myself up, like wiping all this shit off, putting it in the trash can, I get in the shower, and I'm just trying to, I'm trying to just think of how to get out of this and like not look like a psycho. So I walk out of the fucking, out of the bathroom. I'm just like, oh. My friend's sitting there, and it was quiet. He was the only guy there. Everybody else had gone. And I go, oh, fuck. And he goes, Jesus Christ. What the hell was that? And I was like, that? And he goes, dude. And I go, what happened? And he goes, and I, and I go, what was all that yelling? And he goes, dude, my roommate just broke up with his fucking girlfriend. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, they just got into a fucking gnarly fight, dude. And he just told her to fuck off. It got really ugly. And I go, why? And he goes, dude, her fucking dog's shit all over the floor. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, dude. He was like, if they shit in here one more fucking time, he's like, and she like vouched for them and it was like really ugly. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm like, those shitty dogs. So then my friend, my friend goes back into the bathroom and I'm like, 
did this really just happen? Did I fucking get away with this? And he walks out and he goes, yo. And I go, what? And he goes, why is there all this shitty, poopy Kleenex filled up in my trash can? He goes, did you fucking shit on my floor? I was just like, I almost vomited. And I go, no. And I was, I don't know how I pulled this out. I go, no, I fucking stepped in it. And I had to clean my feet off. And he just fucking looked at me. He's like, really? And I go, yeah. And he goes, because you know what was weird? And I go, what? And he goes, when I walked over to the floor when it first happened, that was a lot of shit, dude. Those dogs are not big. And I was like, it's <laughs> like, no, I stepped in it. He was like, oh, all right. And he bought it. But like, that's my story. Is that all right? Is that enough? All right, I'm sorry it wasn't sexy. Gerbil just died. Dude, you smell like shit. I used to get up early in the morning and listen to the rumbling of my bowels. And as my sphincter was yawning, that's when I'd practice my open bowels. Does your sphincter spark, sputter, and spit? Sometimes when I am asleep, I feel clouds kissing me goodnight Before they go downstairs to cook pasta For my parents who are spiders Sometimes I dream my pillow is spiders I was in New York City, this is probably around 2001, 2002, and uh, I had this friend of mine, this guy Mike Cooper, and he called me up and he said he was at this bar down in Soho and I should come down. He said there's a whole bunch of models here, and I went down there and it was a crazy Soho bar with music playing and, you know, sure enough, uh, different models and... And this girl Kelly was there, who's really fun and kind of cool. And I see my friend Mike from Ohio in the midst of this room of like, you know, six foot tall supermodels. And, and we're all there and it's loud and I'm drinking. And, uh, and I noticed some people going into the bathroom and, you know, wiping their nose. And it's like, all right, some people are doing drugs here. And, and uh, Kelly's like, uh, you know, hey, what's going on? We're talking. And it's like, oh, God, you know, at, at this time I'm 32, 33. And I make some comment about how, you know, my days of doing drugs are behind me. And uh, she's like, oh, you know, it's fun. We're just having a good time. I said, well, yeah, if there's a drug that existed that you could take that would get you incredibly high for 20 minutes and then would completely stop and you would feel no hangover, I would take that drug. And she says, well, I happen to know of such a drug. And I said, well, I will you know, I will do this drug because uh, that fits my schedule. I love it. The underlying theme of this whole story is I'm an idiot. That's the beauty of it. Because I'm sure anyone listening to this right now is like, stop. And I wasn't drunk. I can't blame it on that. I'd only had a couple drinks. But she came back with this little vial that had like a little powder in it, kind of white powder. And she said, here it is. And she poured some like, you know, in between my index finger and thumb. We went into the bathroom. By the way, another red flag. Anytime you're going into the bathroom to put a substance in your body, never a good idea. Uh, and I did it. I did the drug. And I did the thing that every 19-year-old who smoked pot for the first time does or takes acid, which is I'm not feeling anything. I better do more. And yeah, anyone, anytime in your life you say, I'm not feeling anything. I better do more. Once again, stop. But uh, I did not do that. Uh, so I did more. And... Um, I walked out onto the dance floor and all of a sudden it was like a giant solid diamond Mack truck driven by demons hit me. And I basically almost kind of froze 
and I could feel every beat of the music like hitting me in the face and instantly like on a, almost like a, a sketch or something started sweating like no human has ever sweated before just pouring down my face pouring down my arms it was one of those things like you could hear your own breath it was like and then the music would boom 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 and uh, sort of bad fisheye lens point of view on my friend Mike going, are you all right? And I sort of uh, Frankenstein walked, like just shuffled my feet over to the table and sat down and Kelly was sort of laughing going, are you okay? And it was boom, boom, boom. And sweat and like everything kind of blurred and I just felt like I couldn't move. That was like the real feeling I had from it. This felt like it went on for... I don't want to exaggerate, but honestly felt like three hours. Every second of it, I was like, I want this to stop. Why won't this stop? There's a nice, healthy dose of panic running through the whole experience, not even remotely fun. It's like I've been stung by some sort of, uh, you know, multicolored spider in like South America or something. It's a, it's a venomous reaction. That's how I would describe it. And just like that, it stops completely stops and I, in one second I am back to being completely fine and there's kind of a beat and the, and the music goes back to kind of just being normal music and I'm like holy shit that was insane and Mike was like god are you all right you're just sitting there like stone still and sweat was pouring out and I was like yeah that's pretty much what I was experiencing and then I finally asked the question that you know should have been asked in like an eighth grade don't do drugs class or certainly should have been asked of the person who gave me the drug before I took it what the hell was that and Kelly kind of laughed and she goes that's special K it's rhinoceros tranquilizer <laughs> so then I start asking more questions like oh yeah people take special K and they go into what's called a K hole and they like fall on the floor and can't move and uh I kind of stumbled downstairs. I said, Mike, I, I got to go. Meanwhile, I think I've been in the place for like 40 minutes. I haven't been there that long. Because uh, true to her word, the drug did only last 20 minutes. It was a clean in and out, and I felt completely fine. So now the biggest mistake of the entire night comes. And I leave Mike, and I go, well, that was crazy. And I go home, and I'm still just kind of dazed, not, not from the drug, but just more like, what the, you know, from getting hit by the Mack truck driven by demons. And I go home to my wife, who's, you know, on the couch. And she's like, what's up? Are you all right? And I don't know what possibly was running through my head, but I decide to tell her explicitly what had just happened. <laughs> I, I, I went to this bar, and I had this thing, and they said it was only 20 minutes, and I took it. And then it was rhinoceros tranquilizer, which is basically like a, a lyrical poem called Things You Don't Ever Want Your Husband to Say. And I'm pretty sure I said bar filled with supermodels in Soho, too, which that, if I just said that, that would have been a bad week in my marriage. But I, I, I took the time to include uh, uh, the, the phrase rhinoceros tranquilizer. So she was uh, horrified, uh, appalled at my stupidity, and, and kind of just looked at me like I thought I knew you. It was one of those looks that you never want to see people have, especially in a marriage. You don't ever want your spouse to look at you like I thought I knew who you were. The look dissipated over the years, but there's still a little flicker of I thought I knew you in her eyes when she looks at me because I then became the person that <laughs> at any point could go out and take rhinoceros tranquilizer without even asking what it was. <laughs> Fucking around, people. This is Rafter with a song called Long Ago, A Rodent 
as big as a bull lurked in South America. How's that? How's that for a song title? It's practically a story in itself. And before that, we heard from director Adam McKay. He is uh, one of the founding members of the UCB, co-founder of uh, Funny or Die, uh, former SNL writer, and just an all-around solid good guy. And now, this thing again. Just love that chorus. Okay, uh, before Adam, we heard from King Baldwin. They did a little track, especially for us, called Be Afraid. Kind of a foreshadowing of a druggy trip sort of thing. Uh, and before that, a snippet from collage artist Gel Soul. It's kind of the farty thing that you heard there, farty farty. It was called Adventures Beyond Plunder World. Now stay tuned, because Kevin Nealon is coming up, but first, we're going to hear a story from one of my very favorite funny ladies. She is Deputy Trudy Weigel on Reno 911. She is in the new film Wanderlust with Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd, and of course she's a member of the state. This is Carrie Kenny Silver with a story we call Yes Fucking Around. Um, This is a story about me in the 90s, um, which I don't think many of you remember. Okay, sure. No, you're old. Um, I was living in uh, the East Village, and we had just uh, started doing the state. Um, Thank you. No, 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 no. Don't. And... uh, I had a boyfriend who's a musician, and we w- get a little freaky, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> and uh, no, it, I really didn't get that freaky, except for one day. We ha- I lived in this apartment with David Wayne. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Um, I take that uh, personally. I lived in an apartment with David Wayne, and we, ha- we lived on Cooper Union, or Cooper Square, and it was like this, you know, David was a trust fund kid, so we had like this super awesome apartment that I just basically crashed at. And uh, and we had this, it was a two-level apartment that was like, as, it was like two feet wide, but it was two levels, which was really cool. So you could stand up, but it was really hard to lay down. So, um, so um, um, and this musician boyfriend of mine came and sort of lived with us for a while. And uh, we were at my uh, this apartment one day and it was like in new york it's like it was like i think it was 650 degrees or something like that and instead of doing the you know thing that we normally did which was open the fridge and lay on the floor we decided to uh have sex on the fire escape because it was the 90s and madonna was big so we were out on the fire escape having sex. Now, I need to stop the story at this point for one second and just let everyone here know that in my 40 years of life, you would think that a story like this, so far, just having sex on a fire escape, is something someone would remember. I didn't remember this story. And it was retold to me one week ago. (laughs) I would love to know what other kinds of things I did that I don't remember. But now it all came back to me after he started telling me the story. So we're out on the fire escape and we're like, you know, having sex. But I don't, I don't think it was that crazy. It was just regular sex. Until across the road, Cooper Union School. You see where I'm headed sort of see faces because you know there's like a, a film on the way so you see and then you see and then you definitely see faces but I'm like I- the, into this so we're not stopping and then I'm realizing like people are watching alright that's kind of weird is it kind of cool or is it weird we should stop should we stop let's not stop 
We didn't stop. And then we started to realize they're, some, they're holding signs <laughs> in the window. Like, go for it. Or I don't know what they said. So probably not go for it. But, so, but eventually, they started holding up signs to recommend positions. Which we then obliged. <laughs> so I was more limber back then. And uh, we did all kinds of, God, I'm like such an old lady. We did all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> and um, we really got in there. We did this. We did a little of this. Oh boy, we did all this. You ever do this one? Um, so, so we did all these, you know, we, we, they kept pulling what's woo, and then what, what's going to happen next, and then yes, and then this, and then whoa, and then we did, and then go, 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 woo, woo, woo. Well, finally they hold up a sign uh, that says, can we come over? <laughs> so, you know, it was the 90s. <laughs> Madonna was big. Was Madonna big in the 90s? <laughs> we said, but of course. We, we were inside, poster board. Yes, yes, come over for snacks. <laughs> so we, we said, buzz to be. So we put on robes, and sure enough, the entire graphic arts 101. <laughs> buzz, we're here. And they came over for grapes and golden graham cereal. <laughs> and me in my robe and my gentleman friend in a towel. I, again, had forgotten this story. This is how it was retold to me one week ago. I ran into, I was working with this ex-boyfriend. Have not seen this man in 10 years. He says to me, Carrie, now I don't remember this. He says to me, you're not gonna believe this. I was at a party in Brooklyn and I'm, I'm making small talk with some kid. And I said, what do you do? He said, oh, I go to Cooper Union. And I said, oh, I used to live across the street from Cooper Union. And this kid goes, you know, there's folklore about that building that you used to live in. <laughs> and he's like, really, what's the folklore? He said, well, I can't believe that it's true. I mean, it's supposedly back in the 90s. <laughs> you know, when Madonna was big. There was some crazy kids out on a, some gorgeous, you know, supermodel <laughs> and her schlubby boyfriend were having sex on the fire escape, which I can't believe. I mean, pro that probably never happened. And then this is the part of the story he says to him that I know, this is when I know that this is all bullshit. Apparently the couple invited them over for snacks. <laughs> and my ex-boyfriend said, he turned to the guy and he said, yeah, grapes and golden graham cereal. <laughs> That was me. <laughs> and I said, there's no way this guy believes you. And he said, not only does he believe me, but we are best friends now. <laughs> Can you imagine a better story to get to know somebody with? So that was the last time I had sex. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you.
warning. The next part of the tape contains information and a questionnaire that could be severely traumatic to some persons. It could evoke deeply suppressed emotions that may be very painful. This part of the tape could trigger explosive emotions that you don't even know exist, memories that are buried in the basement of your mind. It is as if God is knocking on the door of our minds. I had met my wife two weeks prior to this. I had constipation. And if you've ever been constipated, you know it's the worst thing in the world. It just, you cannot describe the pain and the feeling of being trapped. And it's just unbelievable horrific. Anyway, I had nobody to call. All my friends were working on the road. My family was back east. And I called my girlfriend. And I explained to her that I was constipated and that I, 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 if she could do me the favor of running out to the pharmacy as quickly as possible and get me this product called Fleet Enema, I would be so grateful to her. And I was, she must have sensed the panic in my voice. She goes, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go. And, and she's like 17 years younger than me. And I don't think she ever heard the word enema before or uh, maybe not even constipation. So she ran out, and, and I'm in the bathroom. I'm sweating, and I'm calling her every five minutes. I said, where are you now? Where are you now? She goes, I'm coming up Highland. I'm coming up Highland. I say, hurry up, hurry up, but be careful. And uh, I really didn't care if she was careful, and I just wanted her to get to my, to my house. And it just seemed like forever she was not getting there. And I'm in the bathroom, and it just, it was the worst thing in the world. And I knew about this fleet enema thing because about 15 years earlier, this is the only other time I was constipated. So, um, you know, this was not the first time. Um, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and finally I hear her coming up the stairs and I'm so relieved and she comes into the bathroom and she pulls it out of the bag and it's a fleet suppository. And you would not believe how, how frustrated I was that she did not get the enema. And I'm yelling at her. I said, that's not an enema. That's a suppository. A suppository, if you don't know, it looks like a little vitamin B. And you, you're not going to get that into cement. You can't even get that into dirt. And I said, you got to go back. You got to get me the enema. E-N-E-M-A. And I'm yelling at her. And she, she was so upset. She said, okay, okay, I'm going. And I knew she would never make it back in time. I knew that would be the last time I would see her. And I would just implode or something. I, I don't know. And she left. And I'm calling her still. You know, I'm calling, Where are you now? She goes, I'm still running through your living room. I haven't gotten out of your house yet. Give me a chance. And she's running. And, and, I'm, and I'm sweating. I'm sweating now. I think, you know, all of my waist is trying to get out through my pores and my skin. And I'm, I'm trying to expedite things because I... If there's any chance of her getting back, I figure I got to make it as quickly as possible. So I'm, I'm, I spread towels down on the floor. I'm like a dog getting ready to deliver puppies. And I'm, I'm naked. I take off all my clothes. I'm laying on my side in the position that the fleet enema requires. And I'm holding my hand, my arm up to the door. So, you know, I couldn't expedite things any more than that. And when, when she walked in, my hand would be there. It would be like her passing the baton off to me. And... Finally, you know, after calling her a few more times, she comes running up the stairs and she pulls it out of the bag and it was a fleet enema and it was glowing. It was glowing. It was like the Holy Grail. And she goes, do you want me to stay in here? I said, no, no, get out. Go wait by the stairs. Go wait by the stairs. And she ran out and I slammed the door behind her and I, I, I have the fleet enema in my hand and if anything should be easy to get out of the package, it should be a fleet enema. But these things are shrink wrapped like a CD player. I mean, who wants to steal these things? They should have a zipper on the side or an eject button where you just push it, you know, zing, pop, ping, and boom, right into you. But anyway, uh, I finally got it out, and traffic uh, started flowing after that. And, and then after I kind of recovered, I, I was sitting there so humiliated, embarrassed that she had experienced this. She, she had seen me in this state. And this is how dark you start thinking sometimes. I started thinking, well, maybe she'll fall down the stairs and hit her head, and she won't remember what happened. But anyway... She, um, she, she never brought it up again after that, and we eventually got married, and uh, it all turned out perfect. 
but the, the product is Fleet Enema, if you ever need it. E-N-E-M-A. Not suppository. S-U-P-P-O. I don't know. Old Parson Brown running around like a clown. Old Aunt Jemima, she's past 83. She's a-hollin' like full of pep. Watch your step, watch your step. One-legged Joe spinning around on his toe. He throws away his crutches, hollered, hey, let her go. He hollered, hail, hail, the gang's all here for the Alabama Jubilee. Damn, do I love old one-legged Joe. It's the Alabama Jubilee, folks, from Hank Penny. Before that, the one and only Mr. Kevin Nealon of SNL fame and the new Showtime hit series, Weeds. Let's see, who was before that? Da, 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 da. A uh, little uh, found footage called Warning by Animals Within Animals and a song before that called Buckets by Skybox. Well, look who we have next, folks. It's Sarah Silverman. We have been trying to get Sarah to do the show from day one, and so it was such a treat when she came by our live show at UCB in L.A. So anyway, uh, let's get to Miss Silverman and her story that we call Not So Sexy. I have, like, post-coital verbal tics, and they're like... Each different with each, like, kind of long-term relationship, like, um, for a while with one guy. Um, and it's not even what I'm saying. Like, at first I say it maybe to be funny, but then there's, like, something inside me that every time I have to say it or, like, will die or it's just some weird kind of thing inside me. But uh, for a while with one guy, after sex, I would go, you're a pig. <laughs> I'd say, you're a pig. You know, and we'd laugh. And, but, like, after a while, it was just, like... I think he was just like, this is, I mean, it's definitely not funny anymore. And then, I've never said this before, and then um, um, uh, one thing I like to do is I had one boyfriend I had, particularly when he orgasmed, would be like, <laughs> he was like a fucking animal. And um, it was awesome, but then when he, he'd finish, I'd always go, did you come? <laughs> Uh, one time I had sex with a boyfriend we were hosting poker like a little later and um, we had sex and then like we were, he, were, he was in the kitchen like we were getting like the treats and stuff together and then all of a sudden I like went <gasps> and ran to the bathroom and sat down and shut the door locked the door and as that happened uh, one of his friends came over but I didn't know it so when he said like are you okay? I was like, yeah, no, cum came out of me. And then, like, I opened the door, and it was, like, his friend from work. Um, okay, so that's one. Um, like, a great thing that one boyfriend did for me is um, we would get into, like, it's not like we would role play or fantasy or anything, but, like, while we were having sex, we would talk dirty with, like, scenarios. You know, like, what if... I what if your brother was having a sleepover and you were sleeping in your parents' room and I came in and you were sleeping and I just started, fu you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's fun. And um, so we would do stuff like that, you know, like, and um, we went on a vacation and, like, in a way, this is, like, the most romantic thing. Like, he had this whole plan. We get to, like, we were in Mexico or something and he brings like oil and he's like, I'm gonna give you a massage. I'm a masseuse coming to your room to give you a massage. And I'm like, great. So I um, lie down on the bed. That was, is, is somebody's phone ring boner? <laughs> like boing. I'm sure it's an important call. Um, I, uh, so I'm lying on the bed, you know, and it's like, I can't see, I'm on my, I'm on my stomach lying on the bed and the, all the lights are out and he's like giving me a massage and it feels so good. And he kind of has like an accent just to like differentiate that it's not my boyfriend giving me a massage. Like, uh, do you, um, like a pressure hard, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, 
And then I hear a knock at the door, but it's like literally him going like this. Uh, excuse me, uh, let me get the door. Then he like pretends to get the door. He like opens and shuts it. And he, with a tape recorder, had recorded like the Mexican room service valet co- side of the conversation. So it was like, uh, oh, look at that. She's hot, right? He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, she is. Oh, I'd like to get some of that pussy. You know, like, uh, and it's him talking to him. But he's like making it like a sexy, like two men, like two men fantasy, you know, on what, and um, it, I, I mean, it was hot, like, but it was more than being hot. It kind of self-sabotaged itself because like I was lying in bed and my face was like smushed against the pillow going like, oh, like it's so sweet that he did that, you know, like that it didn't feel sexual. It just felt like, oh my God, I can't believe all the trouble you went through and it was funny you know like it was so funny like he's having a rehearse clearly he had to rehearse this <laughs> so I loved that I thought that was sweet um I didn't have one big story so I'm just telling you more than um oh okay oh okay two more little stories all right so I had this one boyfriend um who like we got into the habit of uh like me giving him a morning hand job before he got up because he loved it and he's so nice you know and um <clears throat> but it got to be like routine you know so we woke up and uh you know I go down there and I'm like you know this is you know hand jabbing him and uh I my mind drifted and like without realizing how rude it was I went like the loudest yawn and then I stopped in the middle and I looked at him and I felt so bad but he was like we were both laughing and then it's like we we salvaged it before it was gone so like I I was I remember it was this hand and I was going like this and I looked at my hand and I go ew my oldie hands and he's like really um Okay, so here's a story. Here, I didn't have, I didn't, haven't said these out loud, so I don't know how they're gonna have an ending or if there's jokes or anything. But so far, it's been great. Um, I should have maybe ended with that first one with the uh, rape exam thing because that did real well. But um, here's a true story, and this isn't really about sex uh, uh, from me, but. Um, I have a very good friend, his name is Dave Rath, and I feel I can say his name because I, um, I wrote about it and I said his name, so. Okay, we've been friends for a long, long time, since I was, you know, like, close to 20 years probably, and he's a big manager in town, but he's like really funny, and uh, we're good friends, and like I would stay with him when I would visit L.A., and uh, if he didn't have like a girl over, I'd just sleep with him in his bed, you know, but otherwise I'd sleep on the couch. And it was really fun. He lived with Brian Posehn and Doug Benson was always there too because I guess like an earthquake had just happened and he was scared to sleep alone. So we would like be on the couches. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. It was just like a Todd Glass lived downstairs. It was like a neat... So I don't mean to name drop. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Well, this is a sidebar, but one night, and I grew up as a bedwetter, but I mean, it's not like I wet the bed now, but one night, I got to sleep in his bed with him, you know, he's a big bed, and I totally wet the bed. Like, I completely peed in his bed, and I was like, my heart was like this, and I woke up, and I just was like, in my, to myself, I said, I have to tell him right now, or I'm gonna get too scared or something, and I just go, Dave, I peed in your bed, and he just goes... It's okay, just put a towel down. Thank you. So, uh, okay, so I was coming to town. I was coming to town, I was going to be staying with him. And uh, I, um, you know, I told him, like, I actually, before I even put my bags down, I've got a spot at the Laugh Factory, and he lived right above the Laugh Factory. I said, so meet me there. And, um... So I went backstage at the Laugh Factory, just in the back of the room, and he came in and he rushes and he's like, "Hey, baby," you know, and he, you know, we're very close friends, and he, we give, you know, he gives me a hug and he gives me like a little kiss on the lips, you know, kisses me on the lips, you know, like a friend though, and uh, all of a sudden I had, he has a goatee, 
all of a sudden I had like this gelatinous goatee on my own face. <laughs> gelatinous? And I was like, my heart stopped and I go, were you just eating pussy? And he goes, <laughs> like, as if I was a... The way he thought about it, it was like a magician that guessed his card. He was like, yes! Wash your face! We both like went to the bathroom. I had a stranger's vagina juice all around my mouth. And so now I call him Pussy Face and ever since, and um, his nephew, he said, now calls him Uncle Pussy Face. All right, that's it. Thank you. Okay, our journey is nearly at an end, folks. Uh, we just heard a song by Nina Yasmine called Something More. This is Sean Lee behind me now. Sean has sent us so much great music that he's practically like the podcast house band at this point. And now for one of our great heroes, really, and a good friend. Uh, Mark Marin actually headlined the first Risk Live show in New York. And then this year, he uh, headlined the first Risk Live show in Los Angeles. So he helped us kick things off in both cities. If you haven't heard Mark's podcast, WTF, I'm sure you've heard about it. It is quite something. (laughs) The show belongs in the Library of Congress, if you ask me. It's that damn good. When I sent an email to Mark telling him how much I enjoyed this story you're about to hear, he wrote back, Glad you dug the pain. So why don't we just call this one that? Dig the pain. I've been married twice, divorced twice. Uh, my first, the first wife was, that was my mistake. I married a Jew. Um, don't get weird, I'm a Jew. I just found that if you're a Jew and you marry a Jew, that means everything you hated about going home is now in your house. <laughs> Some people find that comforting. I found it disconcerting. Now... The way that happened, and this is like two levels of me at my worst, and maybe there's some karma at the end of this story. I was a a young comic uh, before I married my first wife. And comics as a breed are are generally emotionally unstable, horrendously insecure, hypersensitive, socially awkward or hostile. Uh, Many have drug problems. They tend to live out of boxes in places where they don't have to pay much rent. Uh, That was what I was, and I was losing my mind. My career was in a bad place. I was angry, uh, and I thought that was very charming. (laughs) And it was. And um, what happened was my brother was getting married, and I was the best man at his wedding, and I was hopped up on coke. I was kind of sweaty. I'm standing up there, and he's marrying this woman, Andrea, and she's got a, a maid of honor. And in my head, I literally thought this. I thought, all right, well, if she's taking my brother, I'm going to fucking take her friend. (laughs) So I angrily charmed her friend and um, moved my boxes into her place. Now, 
That went on for about nine years, and I, and I married that, uh, that woman. I married her because I thought it would make me a better person. It seemed like the right thing to do. Everything's set. I understand middle-class Judaism. Uh, I under, you know, we all have this understanding of each other. But uh, I was uh, in no way happy, and I was in no way a good husband. And I was, uh, you know, I fucked around. I did bad shit. I never stopped doing drugs. I was horrible. And then, you know, about nine years into that marriage, I met another woman who was significantly uh, younger, about 13 years younger, uh, beautiful, not Jewish, perfect, and, um, and sober. So I thought, well, she's going to get me sober. So, of course, I ended up falling in love with that woman and having to leave my wife for this younger woman because she was going to get me sober. Yeah, all right. So that was pretty bad. It was ugly. You know, locks were changed. Um, you know, there was I, I you know, kind of disconnected myself from an entire family. It was horrible, and it was a shitty thing to do, but I had to because I wanted to stay alive. That was my justification. This is about my survival. All right, so now I go to this other woman who now has this 35-year-old, drug-addicted, bitter, fucked-up comedian. And I basically, you know, I, I, I think the courting... You know, here's how it happened. Like, we were having this affair, and I was pretty sure I was in love with her. And, and this is how I court. I remember her sitting on a chair, and I'm in her little New York City apartment, screaming at her, is this for fucking real? Do you fucking love me or what? Do you fucking love me? Because I'm going to fucking leave her. And I think she said, I think so. And I said, good enough. And... I went and left my wife. Now, so I terrorized that girl into loving me. <laughs> and I married her. And in a, you know, a few years into the marriage, she brought it to my attention that I have an anger problem. But, but she didn't say it like that. What she said was, uh, I'm leaving. And, <laughs> and she took her vagina and left. Now, when you love somebody, you don't think they're just going to take their vagina and leave. You think that's... You, you own half of it or something. Like, that's half my vagina, but it isn't. It's, it's all their vagina, and they can, and they can just go. And, and I do have an anger problem, and, uh, and, and, it, and it's horrible, and, and I still have it. And, and I sometimes try to help people, uh, help men who may have anger problems, because I know there are a lot of us, and I know that you're probably out there, and you know I'm talking to you, and you probably have a woman that, that loves you a lot that you use as a bile sponge and just puts up with your bullshit and your apologies, and, and she really believes you when you say you're not going to make her cry anymore because that's the only way you can connect emotionally. Now, I'm sorry, this is comedy. It's not, it's not someone missing the point of the... But here's what I learned, because if you're an angry man, you're probably doing something to compensate for that, to make up for it. Like, for instance, my, my wife, I used to... I used to cook her breakfast, I'd make her uh, espresso, waffles, pancakes, you know. But what I learned after nine years is that no number of pancakes will erase, shut the fuck up! Shut up! Shut your fucking mouth! Once those start stacking up in a woman's heart, you could have a truckload of pancakes delivered and she will still take her vagina and leave, perhaps with the pancake truck driver. <laughs> Whoever will get her out of the situation. Now, to get away from, from things that seem like jokes, I mean, it was presented to me. I came home from the road, and she, this was after nine years of being with me, after about three years of marriage, and she sat me down in the kitchen, and she was crying, and she said, well, I want a trial separation, which I didn't realize at the time meant I, I need to figure out how to leave you permanently. So I will dangle this idea of hope before you and see if you can correct yourself, which, of course, you think you're going to do. And I didn't really know what to do, because when someone says, I'm leaving, you, don't, you can't, it, negotiations are over. Uh, you know, everything's done. You, there's nothing you can say. You know, like I, 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 say, I think I said, I never hit you. Um, <laughs> and if that's all you got to pitch your integrity as a person, you're not going to get her back. But this is horrible, because I was heartbroken, despite the fact I'm an angry fuck, and, uh, you know, which just means I'm, I'm sensitive and, uh, and incapable of handling my feelings properly. I'm learning. See, I'm learning. Um, 
But I was heartbroken and I was fucking freaked out because my wife left and, I, and I'm in this house alone with three cats. It's pathetic. I, I, I fall into a horrendous depression. I don't have hobbies. I mean, I'm old school with hobbies. It's really just dread, panic, revenge fantasies, uh, ice cream, and masturbation. That's all I got. Now, I've got a three-month window here where this woman is, I think, giving me a chance to correct my, my wrongs. But I didn't realize it really wasn't, but that's not important. She did have to come back once a month to get her mail. And I'm a mess. I mean, I literally spend every day, I wake up, I get on the couch, I just sit there going, oh, fuck her. Who's she fucking? I'm a fucking idiot. What the fuck is wrong with me? Jerk off. <laughs> Eat ice cream. And then, and then take a shame nap. I mean, I... That, that's what I'm doing every day. Every day. I don't know what else to do. I, I've, I've exasperated all of my friends with my problems, and that's what I'm left to do. So it's just 28, 29 days of that. Fuck her. Fuck me. Who's she fucking? Ugh, ice cream. It's sleepy time. Now, here's, here's the awkward situation. Is that now, when she comes over, I'm in a position where I have to hit on my own wife in our house. I have to get her back. So I remember the, the, you know, the day she was coming over to get her mail. You know, I showered. I put on my good pants. I shaved my neck. You know, I uh, <laughs> put on some patchouli, you know, and, and, and she comes over. And I'm like, hey, baby, how are you? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sad. It's a really awful situation. I really don't know what I'm going to do yet. And I'm like, I understand. I understand. Well, I just want I hope you're okay. And I love you. And I want you to come back. She's like, I understand that. And I sort of move in, you know, and put my arm around her. And she's like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I'm like, okay, I understand. Well, you know where I am, and you know, I really miss you, and uh, you know, just you know, take care. And she goes, and then like, I'm back to the couch the next day, just like, fuck her, fuck me, who's she fucking, just jerking off angrily, you know, eating ice cream. Now there's crying involved. It's just, it's just horrendous, and, and I'm heartbroken, and I'm self-pitying, and I'm a mess. And this goes on for another 29 days, 30 days. But at this point, I'm also getting angry at her inability to communicate with me. So the second time, you know, she comes over, you know, I don't shave, you know, I'm a little pissed. And she walks in, I'm like, well, so what's going on? How we doing? <laughs> She's like, well, I don't know. I, I still, I, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, how the fuck is that even? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what fucked everything up. How the fuck is that possible? And she's like, I, I just don't know. I, I'm, I'm still confused. I'm hurt, and I don't know. And I'm like, oh, I'm fucking hurt, too. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Whatever you need to do, just do what you got to do. I love you. I miss you. I want you to come home. She's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm trying to work through this. And she leaves, and now I'm back to the couch, and it's just a fucking sad mess. Now it's twice a day. You know, the shame nap is going on for 18 hours. You know? <laughs> and when she comes over to the third time, you know, I'm livid. I'm, I'm out of my mind. I'm not even wearing pants. <laughs> And she walks in, and I'm like, could you just fuck me? Please fuck me. And she's like, what are you talking about? I don't think that would solve anything. I'm like, please, you have to fuck me, because I don't know if we're connected anymore. I'm lost. We need to have sex. We need to see if we're still connected. And she's like, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And then there's this moment where I'm just paralyzed, and I'm, you know, I'm standing there, and I don't know what to say. And these words you know, came out of my mouth. As she was about to leave, these words came out of my mouth. I said, well... Well, will you just, you know, show me your ass and let me jerk off? <laughs> and she's like, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And, then, and, and I don't think that's a good idea. And now equally as baffling, then these words came out of my mouth. Really? After I put my heart out there like that? <laughs> She goes, no, Mark, and she walks out. And, and, and as far as being at my worst, you know, I followed her out you know, in my underwear, you know, livid, you know, as she walked away saying, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I know what your ass looks like. I'm the winner. I win. And I went back into my house and jerked off like the sad king of his castle. You know how hard it is to jerk off in front of three cats? You know what that's like? I don't know about dogs. I don't own a dog, but I imagine it's easier because they just want to be part of something. But I got... <laughs> I've got three cats sitting on my bed, and 
They will just sit there and quietly judge. I take it out and they're like, really? Really? Are we doing that again, sad man? Does that make the pain go away for a few minutes? I never put him off the bed because I never want to hear myself say, you know, daddy's done. Come on back up. Come on. Don't be afraid. Rather shoot myself. And thank God I didn't have a gun in the house during that divorce because I, you know, I, I don't know. I was, you know, depressed. And she always wanted a gun. You know, my, my ex did. You know, she was always like, we need a gun. And you're away a lot. We got robbed once. And I have nothing against guns. But really, I, I had enough forethought to realize that there was no way I was buying that woman a gun because there was no way I wasn't getting shot with that gun. You know, I mean, <laughs> buying my wife a gun would have been like me saying, you know, I kind of want to kill myself, but I want it to be a surprise. <laughs> now, just as an addendum, if that's what you call it to this story, to, to get back. Oh, how old are you? <laughs> I, uh, I, um... There's a lot of good guys out there. <laughs> Don't even be intrigued by me. <laughs> How old is she? 13, yeah. Don't, I mean, just be scared. <laughs> but even then, there's no guarantee in that. All right. The, um, the addendum. After about six months of, you know, finally we, we you know, we, we, I filed for divorce and it got very, and I was very broken and very sad. You know, it, it was just awful. And I was going to my mother's in Florida, which, you know, means I'm in real trouble. Because I, you know, I don't want to deal with that woman. And uh, she's okay, just boundaryless and draining. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I was pretty tapped out. <laughs> so I'm walking through LAX at six in the morning with my sad duffel bag, you know, just a broken man. And I see my first wife at a gate with her, with her new husband. And there was just, you know, that moment where you're like, maybe if I put my hand here, I'll be invisible. <laughs> and, and I'm walking and I just hear my bag clunking against my sad ass, you know. And then I hear, Mark! You know, I turn around and there's like, you know, nine years of my past running at me. All that familiarity, she's running at me. And I know she knows what's happening. You know, she's best friends with my brother's wife, so I know she knows everything. And she runs up to me and I'm like, hey. And she's like, how are you doing? And I don't know what happened, but I just broke out crying. I mean, it, I exploded in tears. And it was so beautiful because she looks at me and she goes, not so good, huh? <laughs> And I got to be honest with you, I was so happy she had that moment, you know, because <laughs> I certainly deserved it. But here's how sick and selfish I am. There was part of me in that moment that thought, like, yeah, are we good? Can I just go with you guys? <laughs> and that's, his, uh, that's, uh, that's me at my worst. Thanks a lot.
What a gorgeous song. This is The Swell Season from their album Strict Joy. They're at theswellseason.com. Thanks so much to them and to all our contributors today. Remember, we want you to contribute too. Your stories, songs, sound collages, sketches, animations, ideas, donations. <laughs> Go to risk-show.com and become involved. We're about to make our blog much more interactive. And we will have t-shirts and mugs and totes in time for Christmas, people. I swear to fucking Christ. It's been a little bit of a struggle. With the mugs and the totes, I'll be totally honest with you. But we're going to get it done. Remember, there's new episodes of the Risk Podcast every other Tuesday, and normally, they're free. This was Risk. I'm Kevin Allison. Our New York live show producer is Michelle Walson. Our L.A. live show producer is Madison Perry. Our episode editor is Mike Cades. Our story editors are David Crabb, Jeff Mercel, and Andy Croner. Our associate producers are Jeff Glazer, Paul Gale, Catherine Green, Jackie Jennings, Nina Moses, and Chris Castiglione. See you next time, folks. Let's ride on out on the rest of this song.